I don't want anyone to feel shame for anything that they're feeling ever. That's the whole point of this book. It's like, how do we talk about all the different things that are stigmatized specifically as women without shame? Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> Hello. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Radically Loved Podcast. I'm not sure why I just added the podcast. Obviously, oh, it's a podcast. No, I like it. Here you are. <laughs> this is really nice. I like it. This is what you get when when Tessa, me myself, introduces us. <laughs> We've not had any complaints about the name callouts, by the way. Not lately. Or yeah, feedback. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The subject title is feedback, not constructive criticism. Constructive criticism. <laughs> feedback. The what do they call it? A shit sandwich. <laughs> What? Have you heard of this? So, okay, I had a very tangible experience with the shit sandwich last week. I was doing this, uh, what will I call it, recording, I guess. I was filming something. And every time we would cut and restart. Oh, wait, this was on Friday, your thing that you did. Yeah. Oh, my God. How was it? It was fascinating. Really fun. And so I was filming this thing. I can't really talk about it in detail, but basically it was like this whole production crew that showed up and we were filming this thing, right? So I'm sitting there, I'm being interviewed by the writer and producer and we would cut and he would come in and he'd get really close and be very gentle with a soft, sweet voice. He'd be like, Tessa, that was really good. Next time, don't blink so much. Okay, you're doing great. And then cut. Okay, Tessa, that was really good. Next time, don't stare at the camera so much. You're doing great. Oh my <laughs> so God. this is the shit sandwich. Yeah. It's like, you're great. Constructive feedback in the middle. Yeah. And then good job. Yeah. It's like, you're doing great. Can you do it completely different than you just yes. did things? Like stand up. No, stand up. No, sit down. No, no, sit down. Have you ever done... Any any sort of filming or commercials or modeling like this before? This is my first time. It was fascinating. Tell me about your experience. I mean, it was just... Uh, th- first of all, we did it at my house. So oh, I you felt- did? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, man. They rolled up with their 18-wheelers with tons and tons and tons of gear, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole shebang of tripods and recording equipment and lighting. Oh, and- boy. Somebody's specific job was to take pictures of everything in the house and to put all of those things back, back to together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with that paint, you know, just like you would on a set of a TV show or something. Yeah. And just the sweetest crew, man, those people are hard workers. We started at about seven o'clock, people started to show up, and then we wrapped around 6 p.m. So it was a long ass day. <laughs> My eyeballs were really tired, but it was just fast. It's fascinating to see like behind the scenes of getting something like that made, whether it be a commercial or a TV show or a movie or something like that. 
all of the effort and all of yes. the people that that is required. My neighbors probably think we were in we're insane, but you know, because the whole cul-de-sac is just taken up with cars and trucks and yes. people in and out of the house the whole time. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> would you do it again? I would. I would do it again. I feel like that kind of stamina that actors and actresses have to do that daily for weeks on end for these like 18 hour days and repeat the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. And that is their life. I Uh mean, whoa, I have a whole new appreciation for, for the the effort that it takes and not just the actors and actresses, but the entire team that creates this scene for us, which ends up being like, what, I don't know. I mean, in this case, it'll probably be like 30 seconds worth of footage yeah. that took us an entire day to film. Yeah. Was that yeah. interesting? I've shot stuff with a similar crew to the crew that you had for Adidas and a couple of other brands where I had to do something very similar. And it is... So I I realize that there's just certain people, like you said, that are just cut out for the job and certain people that aren't. I think that there's a lot of people out there who think that this is what they want to do and really have this idea that it's this glamorous experience. And it is, and it's fun. And I'm not saying that it's not, but I think we do a huge disservice by not telling people exactly what happens behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and the amount of work that, and the amount of waiting and the amount of nuisance that goes on with certain ways. Oh, pick up the tea bag this way, put the tea bag down like this. (laughs) Rosie, you did a great job. Next time, put the lemon wedge right above. Rosie, that was really great. Next time, put the tea bag to the upper left corner and set it down like gently. <laughs> and I'm like, how much more fucking gently do I need to put this tea bag down? I'm about to slam this thing and throw this cup across the room because. <laughs> literally. Oh, anyway. So, traditional medicinals, little shout out to you. Amazing. Mm. Great work. I did for them and it was fun and exciting, but I'm right there with you. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm glad yeah. that you did it. I hope that you get to do it again because it, it does get easier, I think. And, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know? And if yeah. you enjoyed it, I think it's it's just a fun, fun thing to, you know, share with the the cats and the pups later on in life. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and those people are just amazing. So talented. Just the sweetest, sweetest people. And talk about being inspired. We were talking about this last week. That was, for me, it was very inspiring to think about why am I doing what I am doing and what do I want to do next? It kind of lit a flame under me to think about being more purposeful in my day-to-day. Yeah. Well, I am excited about today's guest talking about being able to pivot and adapt. Rebecca Wolf is our guest today, and she has a rather incredible and just wild story. Does she not? Oh, it's very unique. It's so, I've never heard a story like this before in my life. And for her too, it seems like her being able to tell her truth was the first time she'd heard it. No one else was talking about it. So yeah, it's very unique. Yeah. I definitely want to give uh, the listeners just a little bit of background. So 
We all have complicated feelings about our experiences and relationships, yet culture and society pressure us to feel and think a certain way, which is true. What would you feel if you had a miserable relationship and your spouse died suddenly? What, would you feel sad or would you feel guilty about not feeling sad? So in Rebecca Wolf's latest memoir, All of This, a memoir of death and desire, she shares why people often suppress complicated feelings and feel guilty about them. All these feelings are valid and we need to practice honesty in all aspects of our lives. We can also help others and become more honest by validating their feelings. So very, very intense topic today. Tessa, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I know how you feel about this episode because you've listened to it already a few times. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. At least three times I've listened to this episode. I think the takeaway for me is, it's actually a quote that I extrapolated from the interview and I'll share it with you. She says, I don't want anyone to feel shame for anything that they're feeling ever. That's the whole point of this book is how do we talk about all the different things that are stigmatized, specifically as women, without shame? And so the questions, Rosie, that you asked at the beginning around what, you know, the, the central theme of this book, what would you do if you were in a miserable marriage and your partner died? Would you feel guilty at feeling relieved? Would you feel sad? I mean, Yes to all of it, of, of course, right? Like the, these human emotions are multifaceted. It's not just one feeling that comes up and stays with you forever. The one other thing that I love that she touched on is this idea of closure when we talk about death. And she'll dive into it. I'll let her dive into it. But just to put a pin in that idea of closure in terms of death was fascinating. Yeah, no, I'm totally into it. And I cannot wait to hear what all of you that are here with us think about this episode. Here's my conversation with Rebecca Wolf. Hello, friends. I want to tell you about Kachava, my all-in-one daily super blend. If you're worried you aren't getting all the nutrients you need or struggling to stay on top of your health, then listen up because Kachava has you covered. Kachava puts everything in your body it needs in one glass so you can have it all. All the superfoods, all the vitamins, all the omegas, all the adaptogens, all the greens, all the proteins, all the benefits for your gut, your skin, your hair, your brain, your muscles, your heart, your whole health. No more compromise, no more guilt, no other nutrition shake does it all like this. They travel to the ends of the earth to source them all and crush it up. Kachava is a powder you take two scoops, just add water, blend it up, and it tastes incredible. They have five delicious flavors. Chocolate and chai are my personal favorite. I drink kachava for breakfast and it keeps me full for hours. There's no way I could get all of these nutrients in my normal diet. And trying to manage all of the supplements and the ingredients you should be taking, I mean, it's a little overwhelming and very expensive. But now Kachava makes clean, organic, superfood nutrition accessible to everyone. You've got to try Kachava for yourself. Kachava's offering 10% off for a limited time. Go to kachava.com forward slash loved, spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A and get 10% off of your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com forward slash loved to get 10% off for a limited time. Kachava.com forward slash loved. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Radically Loved Podcast. I'm so excited about today's guest. She's an author. Her name is Rebecca Wolf, and she is here to talk about her memoir called A Memoir of Death and Desire. This is a memoir that will sit with you in a good way. It's raw, it's moving, it's honest. And she's here to talk about her experience with writing the book. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward for every single person listening to this podcast to get their hands on your memoir. The topics that you, I'm going to read this just so everybody knows what we're talking about today. So this is a memoir of death and desire in all of Wolf. By the way, I'm going to tell you a story after about your last name. Okay is shamelessly open and honest about feeling trapped in a marriage she didn't want to be in and sticking by her husband as he went from diagnosis to death in four months. She addresses difficult truths we're afraid to admit about death, marriage, sex, and how the loss of a partner can lead to rebirth. It's powerful. It's raw. It's a story that many people can relate to. Thank you. I mean, that is just that in itself, if it's not going to get everyone that's listening to this right now motivated to buy and read this book. I just, I don't know what will. I mean, I have been looking forward to this conversation, as I told you before we started, since March. So I'm so honored to have you here. I really am always interested with people who can write about very intense topics Like, what is your writing process as you're going through, not only living through the story, but having to relive it again, what the intention was, what was the the driver behind writing this book? So I'm a memoirist. I'm an essayist. I've been writing about my personal life since my teens. So for me, I was describing it to someone the other day because this is a very, this is definitely the most personal I've ever gotten. And I've been writing about my personal life for 25 years. And sort of, there was a few friends actually had said to me, and I'm worried about you. Like I'm worried when this book comes out, like how people are going to respond. And it's just so vulnerable and you're so vulnerable. And, and there's a lot of things that I write about that are extremely polarizing. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people that love me that are very protective of me because when you write a polarizing book and sort of expose like your full humanity, you are susceptible and vulnerable to all sorts of different kinds of responses. And I was trying to explain that as somebody who's been writing autobiographically for more than two decades, like I've gotten to a point, I think it's sort of like, I've been, I feel like I've been training for this sort of my whole life. I've been writing very honestly about pretty polarizing subjects all along. And I've received every kind of criticism you can imagine, every kind of praise, death threats, love letters. People have shown up on my, like every kind of feedback you can imagine I've received. And now I sort of gotten to a point where like, I just I feel very boundaried about it. I started closing comments actually on Instagram a few years ago. I was going to ask you, how has it, because you've been writing for such a long time, how has it shifted now with social media and people having direct access to responding to something that you post? 
Yeah. So I started really like professionally on the internet all along. I was a, I was a mommy blogger, like old school, like back in the early aughts. Like I started mommy blogging, like before, like when it was still dial up, like I was on blogs, but I was doing my own HTML. So I've been like the first comment section. Like I was, I was there. So people, there's never been a time really where I've written and haven't received feedback from people. But what's happened like over time is that I've basically, you know, in the early days of blogging, we were criticized for closing comments or deleting comments, or it was like, you're supposed to be open to all of it. And it was like this, like you had to kind of take it. And there were times where I would write about anything from like gun control to abortion. And I would get completely slammed with horrible comments and I would just let them stay there. And that was just, that was, you know, sort of cultural at the moment, like within the blogosphere, you didn't close comments, like you kept it open and it was a sign of weakness to close them. Anyway, it was bullshit. And what I realized through writing this book, because it was the first time I'd written long form without posting it that day, right? Because when you're writing on the internet, when you're blogging, I was writing a personal essay every day and then publishing it that day. Like I didn't have time... So the, the the thing about writing long form that I realized as I was writing this book, and this is my second book. So similarly, I, you know, I wrote a book in my early twenties, very different book. But as I was writing, I was like, God, it's so nice to write something and not get feedback immediately on your work. Like I can write so much more honestly without an audience. Whoa. Like, so I think the reason my book ended up being as sort of honest and open and vulnerable as it was because I didn't have anyone responding to like my every word as I was writing it. I also wrote it during lockdown where I was literally in isolation. So I think there's actually something to be said for writing during lockdown that because we forget that there's an audience, we forget that there's a community, we forget that we're not the only person in the world. So it almost felt like writing like in a journal or something. Yeah. I'm like, How did you write this? I mean, the, the topics that you're writing about are life. I mean, they're intense. How did you do that? Also being a parent and living through a pandemic. Yeah, I sold, I sold this book two weeks before we went into lockdown. So I sold it. And then like, I had to now write the book with four kids, homeschooling in my house, I mean, what was it a year and a half? Like we were all locked in for a year and a half. So I wrote the whole book on my bed with the door closed, running in and out to try to check the internet and make sure everyone's Zooms were cooperating. It was definitely like the opposite of sort of Virginia Woolf's, you know, a woman must have a room of her own in order to write. I think for me, what I learned through that experience is that like, I think creatively I sort of thrive in chaos and that, I've been writing at home my whole life surrounded by noise and kids and cacophony and all the just madness that it's like, oh, this is like all I kind of know now. And I'm always like kind of blown away when people are like, yeah, I'm going on this retreat to work on my book for six months, or I'm going to this thing, or I'm going to go to the mountains or because most people, first of all, don't have that option, right? Most people don't have the option of going away for a month, especially yeah. if you have kids, especially if you're the only parent. And I think, I actually think there's something to be said for sort of finding your sort of room of one's own within the chaos. And like, how do you, I think it keeps you honest, right? I think it keeps you like you, you have between this hour and this hour to write, you better do it. And also you've got you've got crying out outside the door. You've got shit, like, 
I wrote actually, there's a part of this book that I wrote in real time. Like I was like, I'm in lockdown writing this book. What's up guys? Like I, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that like, this was also happening because when my husband died at the end of 2018, so, you know, a year and a half later, we're all in lockdown and, and going through this sort of massive transition, this massive life change, and then going through this other one with the whole world was to me like a really important, like it was important to write about that too. It was like, how yeah. can I not write about this? this is, I'm literally locked in working on this book when this is what's happening. Like it, it felt like it weren't to acknowledge it. But to your point about writing, about writing in lockdown, about writing really personally, I think for me, and this is what I, because a lot of people are like, well, your kids and like, what do people think? And how do you write this way? I think like anything, like it's, you're exercising a muscle. I think that we can, we can become more honest storytellers, better truth tellers mm. through practice. Like anything, I think truth is a practice like anything. And I think, you know, we get in the habit of being performative without realizing it in everything, in every aspect of our lives. And I think, you know, it's very easy to say the things that you're supposed to say, like even just, hi, how are you? Or I'm well, thank you. Like we don't really, <laughs> all day long, we're lying. All day long, we're saying what we need to say in order to, you know, move from one, one thing to another. And we don't really stop and listen to ourselves and ask ourselves, like, are we being honest? Are we talking? Are we telling our truth? And is it harming us by saying, I'm fine. How are you every single day? Like, what is that doing to us? So I think, I think sort of getting in the habit of checking yourself when you're just sort of knee jerk responding, that sort of was my experience, like through my husband's death was I was finding myself responding the way I was expected to respond when people asked me how I was or, yeah. and I was miserable in my marriage and I did not want to be with him anymore. And there were a lot of times where I was like, I wish one of us would die. I was like, how do I get out of this marriage? Mm -hmm. And when he called me from the hospital to tell me that he was dying, I immediately assumed it was my fault that I had witchy, I had willed this because I was so miserable and I felt so stuck that it was my, I must've willed his cancer. And that obviously like, I'm not that powerful, like nice try itself, but like there was this, there was this real feeling that like I had, had caused his sickness and the feelings that I was having, this like feeling of relief on top of all the other feelings, because clearly there were so many yeah. But that feeling of like, oh my God, I don't have to deal with this anymore. Like I have an out, holy shit, which was going on in my head and my heart and my body. And I could not say that out loud. Not only could I not say that out loud, I had to sort of, I had to suppress those feelings. And I felt really throughout his dying. And in like the months after he died, I was like, how can I present as the wife and the widow and the person that I'm supposed to be right now. And I wasn't thinking about how I was really feeling or giving myself the space to even feel those things. I was suppressing so much. There actually, there was a moment where it's your job when you lose a husband, especially when you're young, you have children, it's your job to keep their legacy alive. Like it's your job. You have to do everything for the death, for the funeral, for the bear, you know, you have to make all the decisions, all the stuff. 
And it's your job to keep their legacy alive. Like that's on you for your family. Like you're representing that person. And that's a lot when you didn't want to be with that person anymore. So I think it got to the point where I was like trying to do my best to represent him as positively as I possibly could. And it's like anything like you, you get burnt out having to work on something that doesn't feel it doesn't feel honest. Yeah. And I think for me, there's no reason why, why should I not talk openly? It doesn't mean that I'm, that I didn't love him. It didn't mean that I'm not sad. We were so unimaginative and so binary when it comes to death, when it comes to love, when it comes to all of the things that matter. And I was like, why can't I feel relieved and joyful and suddenly like free sexually. And oh my God, I get to go have a, like live a life in my body. And oh my God. And also feel sad, angry, you know, wish my kids had a father, wish things would have ended differently, wish I would have left him earlier so that he could have had a great love or whatever. There were so many different feelings that I was feeling and they all belonged in the same space. Like they were all connected. And so for me writing this book and for the last four years, it's been four years almost since he died. I've basically been trying to untangle all these feelings and arrange them sort of just to see how they fit together and how they got confused and why we're so just why we're so afraid to honestly talk about the complexity of all of the stuff. Yeah. Plenty of women who lose husbands, they don't want to be married to there. I mean, there are, and and of all ages and stages, there are, there are plenty of, of children who lose parents that they're relieved not to have to deal with anymore. We have complicated relationships with the people that we love. That doesn't mean that we don't love them, but we should be able to talk about that after they die. Yeah. Prior to the Pandy Wandy, I was not a fan of doing online classes. I was way more of an in-person class person. I loved being in the room with people. I felt a connection and it just would get me motivated to do classes. But obviously, thanks to the year 2020, that has changed. A few months back, a friend of mine had introduced me to the Open app. It offers breathwork, meditation, and movement classes. And it's way more than just an app. They have unlimited live and on-demand classes with teachers that will make you feel like you're in person. I think my favorite part was being able to do a class at the same time as our little friend pod. We decided to show up to Olivia's class. Her voice is so calming. And I love the wind down evening live stream that she does on Sunday. It's such a nice way to head into your week. You definitely get way more than you pay for. It's $20 a month and it's so worth it. You can cancel at any time. And I got to try it for free for 30 days. If you're wanting to join a community that you can tap into from anywhere you are in the world, this is it. Think of this as a mindfulness studio in an app form. I think you're really going to dig it and you can invite your friends to class too. I worked together with Open to get you all 30 days free so you can try it out and see if you'll enjoy it as much as I do. There's a link in the show notes with open.com forward slash loved. I'll be sharing on my social too. And you can check it out on your own at any time with open.com forward slash loved. That's W-I-T-H-O-P-E-N.com forward slash loved. L-O-V-E-D. 
Use the promo code LOVED for your 30 days free. There's unlimited live and on-demand breathwork, meditation, yoga, Pilates, and more. Let me know what classes you're trying and maybe we can meet each other there. I'm excited to hear what you think. I think people are more used to suppressing and they aren't used to the feeling of a radical truth because they've spent most of their time convincing themselves of this alternate reality that doesn't exist. Whereas if you're asking me how I am and if I'm saying I'm good, if I keep telling myself that maybe it'll be true or... I don't want to open a can of worms. Do How much time do we really have? And I think yeah. people negate their feelings and minimize their time because it does take time to, I love how you said, to untangle and really expand and see all of the nuances that are there and how all of these nuances can exist simultaneously at the same time. Yeah. And it's really just what society says you need to do. And it's like, oh, you need to be sad. Oh, it's, how could you not be sad? Or why would you say that? Why would you even talk about this, you know, after the fact? And it's like, why is me living my truth bad? Like, this is why I feel like we have so many issues with drug dependencies, alcoholism, you know, substance abuse, bad relationships. Why are relationships bad in the first place? Because we are negating and we are denying a part of ourselves that's not being expressed, right? Yep, absolutely. And there's so much shame attached to really how, I mean, death for one. Death is like, because it's over. When it's final, it's over. Well, he's dead. I think like people forget that when the person dies, (laughs) that everything else doesn't just die with them. Like emotionally, every, things are still very much alive. Anger is very much alive. So all the different feelings that you have. In fact, I would go so far to say that like when somebody dies, I don't think that there's really closure in any at the end of any relationship. I think closure is a myth. But I think especially with death, I think we assume that something's going to happen, that there's going to be a moment of truth, that there's going to be a conversation had where people are forgiven, where all is well, where, you know, it's like... The the happy ending, right? That does not exist. And I think that was for me, you know, something that my kids and I all experienced together, this idea that like, wait a minute, we never got an ending. Like we never got closure. This was something that happened and like, it didn't look like it was supposed to look Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like it was supposed to feel. And like, what do you do with all of these feelings that you are not only are completely unfamiliar, but like you haven't, you haven't seen them or heard of them, like really in any sort of cultural reference. That was sort of my experience was I came out of this, this experience with his dying, with his death, with my sort of awakening and this feeling of, oh my God, I'm free and alive and I don't have to deal with him anymore. And I can't say that out loud. And I was looking for someone else in the internet, books, movie, whatever, who was saying that too. And nobody was, nobody was. So I'm like, oh God, well, I guess I'm the shitty person who is having these feelings and I'm having them alone. And then I started sort of slowly talking about them, hinting at them in pieces I was writing, mainly like little mini micro essays on Instagram. People started reaching out to me, widows, people who were living with a dying spouse or a sick husband. And they were saying, 
this is exactly how I feel, but I cannot talk about it. I cannot say it out loud. Everyone keeps saying like, oh yeah, he's still, he's still alive. Like these are women who are, have been taking care of dying husbands for months, for years, who their entire life is caretaking. And yet, of course they would feel relieved if they didn't have to do that anymore. Are you kidding me? Anyone would. It doesn't matter how much you love somebody. When your life is devoted to taking care of someone. And yet we sort of do this like, oh, he's fighting the fight. He's fighting the good fight. You know, you know who's fighting the fight? It's the caretaker. The caretaker's fighting the fight. And whenever you hear these stories about like people cheating on their dying spouses or someone, like the fact that there isn't empathy for that person is crazy to me. I mean, even like there was a president, a presidential hopeful, I can't even think of his name from years ago, whose wife was dying. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh God. Yeah. And he, and he was basically like, he had cheated on her while she was on, while she was dying of cancer. And everyone was just like, what a fucking dick. Have you ever taken care of someone who's dying of cancer? Like I have so much empathy, whatever gets you through, if you're doing that, like I have so much empathy yeah. for the complexity of that for people. And it doesn't mean you don't love them. And it doesn't yeah, mean, yeah. And I think again, like we're the, the guilt and the shame that people carry and like the way we expect people to just, especially women to just take it all, take it all on with a smile is just, it's, it's like, no, I don't know. Yeah, no, I've had these conversations. My aunt, my dad's sister, only sister there's only three of them. They have a younger brother too, but my aunt is the sole 24 seven caretaker of my almost 90 year old grandmother. And it is no easy feat. This is the constant cleaning up the constant. she, She can't walk. So it's like the picking up and putting down and the emotional upheaval and the intensity of just having to deal with the the emotional stress of be oh and she also has four kids and is the sole guardian of her three grandchildren they all live with her right so so it's it's just it's so much you know anytime i talk to her i try to give her some solace and just say like you know you're doing such a great job and she's like yeah i i catch her in those moments where she really wants to express how she feels And in the same tone as she's expressing, she then feels guilty and says, oh, I know, but I shouldn't feel. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't shit on yourself. Like, it's okay. You can be frustrated. You can be tired. You know, you can have those thoughts that you think are really shitty that if you were to say out loud, it's like, wow, you're that's fucked up to say. But listen, I get it. It's not fucked up to say. And I think that. To your point, but if we were more, if we, I want to normalize all these conversations because I don't want anyone, specifically a woman who's taking care of her grand, her mother and her, I don't want anyone to ever feel like they're not fucking killing it. And also able to like, it doesn't mean that you're not like, I don't want anyone to feel shame for anything that they're feeling ever. That's the whole point of this book is like, how yeah. do we talk about all the different things that are stigmatized specifically as women without shame? Because for your aunt to feel like she can't talk honestly about how fucking hard it is. Now you have a generation of, of, of girls, of women, of people around her feel like they can't talk about how hard it is. It's like, as soon as you start talking about it, it's sort of like, 
the Me Too movement, how soon as people started talking about it, it was like this deluge or it was like Me Too, Me Too, Me Too, Me Too. Like, I want that across all platforms, not just about sexual assault, but about the way women carry so much and feel like they have to apologize for being annoyed about it. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I know I'm so lucky. I'm the one who's alive. I'm the one, you know, the, when you're doing the caretaking, you have survivor's guilt anyway. It's like, I can't complain. Like I have my health, but do you? Yeah. Right. But that's the thing. That is the thing. I mean, my aunt literally was in the hospital with COVID. She had like a minor stroke last December. You know, I mean, this woman is, her health is not awesome. Yeah. But, but, and I'm like, what do you think is happening here? I mean, this is, you know, this, this whole cycle of like, I have to do this or what, like, what is the, or, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like their status quo for her is like complete selflessness. Like like, there's, and that's the thing too. It's like when you're taking care of somebody, when you're taking care of small children, when you're taking care of a dying person, like you can't put yourself anywhere but last. How could you? How could you possibly make time for you when people's lives depend? Like, yeah. like I, if I if I go out, if I turn my back, like there's so much responsibility. Yeah. So of course you're gonna ignore your own yourself. When did beauty get so complicated? So much time, too much money, and not enough. Well, what works for you? That's why Kitsch was created, to simplify self-care and beauty products that give you a major boost so you can go on to the next thing. Kitsch offers game-changing, time-saving beauty essentials for hair, skin, and body. Whatever your budget, your skin type, your hair type, Kitsch believes you deserve little indulgences at affordable prices morning, noon, and night. They started in 2010 by selling hair ties door-to-door, literally just hustle and a dream. Kitsch is self-funded, female-founded, and now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Their best sellers include satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, which are my favorite. Satin is vegan and cruelty-free, which is also my favorite. And it's not like silk, which was made from silkworms. These are so great for your hair and skin while you sleep. These satin pillowcases, I'm telling you, changed my life. Kitsch is offering you 30% off of your entire order at mykitsch.com forward slash loved. That's right. 30% off of anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com forward slash loved mykitch.com forward slash loved for 30% off of your order. Can I ask you a question about it's a little bit, it's on the topic, but it's a little bit more personal. And and I'm just curious to hear your take because it's a conversation I've been having with a a close friend of mine. And I'm sure by the time this comes out, I I will have talked to her about asking you this question, but she is going through postpartum and she's having a really hard time. And even though this is now talked about more, the fact that she says some of the things that she says, like, she's like, I feel like I fucked up and I made a mistake. And she's like, and I feel bad saying that. That's how I feel right now. But like, do you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. We're trying to have these conversations where I'm like, this is your free space to be able to share. And 
write about it, share about it, talk about it, because I'm sure you're not the only woman in the world that feels this way. And you have to be able to do what you need to do to handle yourself. You know, it's like, she's like, I know, but now I have to be responsible for this other human. And I feel like I'm not supposed to be taking care of myself. I'm supposed to be taking care of my son. And it just feels like I feel for her because I'm like, I don't know what to say in a situation like that. So I don't know whether you can speak to this in those terms, but like, what would, how do we support the people that we love to not feel shame around these topics? I think that's like such an incredible question. I think that, that, I think that's the question. Like that's, I think that the only way to do that is just to remind everybody that their feelings are valid. And to, I remember this was like a really poignant moment to me. Like the first time my cousin, who's like a sister to me was in, was in LA. She was staying with me for the night a little, a few months after Hal died. And I had said to her, it was the first time I'd said it out loud. And I was like, Erica, I'm so relieved. And she was like, that's super valid. That was her response. Yeah, that's super valid. And then she left like first thing in the morning and she left a note on my pillow. And it was like, like, she, I'm going to botch it. But she was like, I love you. I see you. Every feeling you have is valid. And I think like validating people's complicated responses to things is such a gift. And telling her that what she's feeling is so valid and that you love her and that you love that she feels like she can trust you with that and that you support her and that everything that she's feeling is completely, it doesn't have any, doesn't say anything about who she is, what kind of mother she is. Like her truth is like, she's a human. She's going to have all these feelings and they don't, again, like we're so unimaginative. We have no nuance. It's all together. It's all together. Like, and every parent feels that way sometimes with or without postpartum, every parent's like, did I, yeah. And I think we feel that way in relationships. I'm, and, and when I, you know, it's like people make comments all the time, like, ah, can't, like, can't like wish I could kill my husband. Like people make like jokey things about spouses dying all the time. And I always think about that. Like I really pay attention when people will be like, we'll make comments like that, like just kind of jokey comments. And I was like, wait, there's truth to that. Like we make these jokes about, I'm going to kill you. Like, you know, like we say these things because there's truth to them. Because when we're really mad or really at the end of our rope or we're having these feelings, we go there in our brains. Like we all do it. Yeah. And this idea that like, we're all somehow... Like, you know, there's this sort of, uh, oh, I'm better than her because I don't have those feelings or I don't say them out loud is bullshit. So I I think giving your friend or anyone or a stranger the space and love for being honest, especially when it is complicated, especially when it's challenging or, you know, controversial or polarizing or whatever is like, that's our greatest gift, especially I think as women, because there is so much more we have, we do carry so much more. We do. And we deal with so much more shame and stigma when it comes to all this stuff. Like, yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I, I love what you're saying. So my fiance boyfriend, he's my boyfriend. We've been together for almost 20 years and. Oh, wow. Yes. And I always say this, you know, anytime I have friends that have their, you know, are on their second marriages and, or currently dating in the dating world. And 
you know, I always say like the grass is always greener, right? Because people are always like, oh, you you and Tori, you know, you guys have been together for so long. Like I want to aspire. And I'm like, I'm like, don't ever try and aspire. You don't know the inner workings, you know, like it's not always easy. It's definitely been a lot of work. We've had ups, we've had downs, we've stuck through and, and both of us are constantly examining how we feel and we have conversations and we get to choose to be with each other, you know, and sometimes I don't want that choice. And sometimes I have to think like, am I here? Because I really, and again, this can be taboo. And, and I say this out loud to him. I'm like, am I here because this is what I'm used to? Or am I here because I really want to be here? Is this just me being in my comfort zone? Am I complacent? Or am I really, truly, genuinely happy with where I'm at and and happy with this relationship? And honestly, it can depend on the time, on the day. You know, it's like some days I'm like, oh no, this is my person. Like, this is who I was meant to be with for the rest of my life. Like, there's just no question. And then there are days where I'm like, I don't know, you know? And that's the truth. Totally. Yeah. And And that's love, right? Like, that's... That's love. That's being a human also, right? Like the, this, I don't know. It's like all of that is part of it. And it's beautiful that you're so with somebody that you have all these different feelings for. Like, I think parenting for me, like there's, you know, there are those days where I'm like, oh my God, I want to like get in my car and drive off a cliff or like, I I just want to, or just at least drive away. That's so valid. Like, I don't ever feel bad that I feel that way. Like I get overwhelmed. Everyone gets overwhelmed and I have those feelings. And then, you know, the next day you're like, oh my God, this, like, this is my whole, like, I want to just like bury my face in in your, I just want to like, like the love is so overwhelming. And that's, that's it. Yeah. You know, that's it. And all of that, all of that, it's all like this. Yes. You can't have one without the other. And, and I, and I think, you know, there's certain, I think with love, we're a little better at talking about love in that way. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, and, and, and our relationship with our kids in that way. I think death does something to us that as soon as somebody dies, we can't talk about them anymore because they're not here to respond. They're not here to state their case. And I think that's also very valid to have, you know, that's, that's something that I hear a lot critically. And I'm so like, I receive that criticism because it's like, I'm not here to tell his side of the story. He could have written all of this, a memoir of whatever about me. What if I told you there was a new product out there that can tackle your negative impact on the climate just by using it once a day? There is, and believe it or not, it's actually a credit card. Introducing the Aspiration Zero credit card. So many of us are terrified about the climate crisis, but we don't really know what to do or where to even begin. Sure, you can get solar panels or buy an electric car, but those are super big and expensive. There is also everything from using laundry detergent made out of corn cobs or toilet paper made out of bamboo. These are all worthwhile products, but they don't make a big difference. Switching from using Aspiration Zero credit card can crush your negative carbon footprint just by using it daily. Aspiration Zero is the first credit card that fights climate change by planting trees with every swipe. 
The way it works is simple. With an Aspiration Zero credit card, you plant two trees with every purchase you make and two trees soak up the same amount of carbon from the air as the average American puts out every day. And along with the reward of knowing that you've turned buying a little latte into a way to do your part to save the planet, you get the other kind of green reward too cash unlimited 1% back on all of your monthly purchases when you hit carbon zero for the month. And thanks to people like you, Aspirations made a huge impact. They've already planted 75 million trees. So make your dollars make a difference. Apply for the Aspiration Zero credit card today and earn a $300 welcome bonus after spending $3,000 in the first 90 days. You can apply right now at aspiration.com forward slash loved to go to carbon neutral effortlessly and earn a $300 bonus. Go to aspiration.com forward slash loved. The Aspiration Zero MasterCard is issued by Beneficial State Bank pursuant to license by MasterCard International Incorporated. Good credit required terms and conditions apply. What are your thoughts on the normalization of, okay, somebody's past. Now you can't talk about how, yeah, he cheated on her. He would beat her. He was a drug addict. You know, it's like all of a sudden you can't, I'm just obviously speaking about a person in specific where then it becomes taboo to speak all the dead, to to talk about this person and not be like, no, this was like the greatest thing that could have happened to you guys. You know, it's yeah. like this person was bringing so much chaos into the existence, yeah. but it's like, oh, but you know, we shouldn't talk about that because that's like the father of your oh, no, we children. Oh yeah. No, yeah. We so, so what that. is that? Where, where does that come from? Like, why is that not, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, I, I think personally where it comes from is that societally we believe that the worst thing that can happen to a person is death. The worst thing that can happen to a person is that they die. That is the absolute worst thing, which is interesting because we're all, we're all going to die. So it's like the most, so the worst thing that can happen to, to us is that is what's going to happen to us. (laughs) So when somebody dies, the worst thing that has, can happen to them has happened to them. It's almost like that's justice, right? They've been incarcerated with death. They're in their death. So they're getting their, so, so it's like, you can't say anything after that. When the worst thing has happened to somebody, how could you kick them while they're down? How could you, you know, people say you spit on their grave or what all the, ever these, but the reason is because we believe, or some of us believe that the worst thing that can happen to you is death. I personally do not believe that. I have a far more Buddhist philosophy when it comes to death. I'm not afraid of it. I think death can be very beautiful. I've always had a different sort of relationship with death. I used to work with kids and teens who were chronic and terminally ill. I learned so much from that experience. And and the main thing was just that, you know, our openness to death mirrors our openness to life. I find that they're extremely connected. And I think going back to what we were talking about, when death is the worst thing that can happen to you, how can you possibly say anything bad about someone who's died when they've already gotten the worst to them? I think that keeps a lot of people from talking honestly about their experiences with people who have died, whether it's they die young and unexpectedly or old of old age, you know, and, and I, but I think we feel the need to protect them because they're not here to protect themselves. 
And also because they're like, like, that's it. They got, they got it. They got it, whatever, you know, but I think, I think the whole, the problem with not speaking honestly about our experiences with people die is the same problem of us not speaking honestly about our experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people who come out of a death feeling all sorts of conflicting things and don't feel like they can talk about them. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of buried trauma in people when it comes to people who die and their inability to talk about it, like talk about their experience with that person or their experience with the death or whatever. It's like, people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to talk. There's a lot of when somebody dies, we don't talk about them. We don't bring it up. It's too painful. Like there's, there's so much secrecy when it comes to death. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, like I know that you, you, yeah. and I, and look, I can, so Here's what I would love for you to do, Rebecca, if you would indulge us here at the Radically Loved Podcast and our our little community. If you would come back to the to the show and maybe we can have a couple of questions from the audience, maybe personal questions, and we'll get them in advance and we can have you on again. And so we can have a more detailed conversation and maybe some of the audience members have questions about the book. So I would love, love, love to have you back if you'd be open to that. I'd love to. I would absolutely love to. Thank you. Where can people go for more information to reach you? So you can go to my website. It's RebeccaWolf.com. And it's Wolf with two O's, like Virginia, W-O-O-L-F, RebeccaWolf.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm also at Rebecca Wolf, but there's an extra O in Wolf. It's three O's. It's Rebecca Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so just to put a little ribbon at the end, I have a friend whose last name is Wolf. And it's rare. Is it spelled I, the same way? It's, it's, it's with one O. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah one O. It's like, are we related? Yeah, no, I know. I was like, that's why, it's, you know, sometimes it's like, you never know. It's like, oh, I had the, I wanted to add the O, you know, or yeah. whatever. So, but I love that. He's like, anytime you meet a wolf, you know that you're in loyal company. And I'm like, oh. Oh, yes. We love that. We love, there's actually years ago, there was like a bunch of Rebecca wolves that found each other, like with the same, like with the same spelling too. What? There's like five of us or something. And we all like friended each other on Facebook like 15 <laughs> years ago. And it was so funny. It was like, ah, and there is, there's like this feeling like when you, I mean, I guess it, it totally makes sense that you would. Of course. Feel, you know, like a, an immediate bond. Yeah. <laughs> of same course. Thing. Yeah. No, I, I do. I do love wolf. And I do whenever I hear, if I see a wolf or hear a wolf, I'm like, ah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. So I wanted to share that with you. Thank you again for everything, for being here. I have one, of course, I have one final question that I ask all of my guests and it's pertaining to this podcast and why I started this podcast to begin with. I wanted to create a space for people to go to, to feel inspired, connected, part of a community and to know that they are radically loved by God, source, whatever higher power you believe in, uh, that the universe works for you and not against you. So the final question for you is, how do you feel radically loved? Man, I think for me, I think my love language is truth. And I think I feel loved when I'm in a company 
of people that I feel like I can be honest with who feel like they can also share their truth with me. Like that's, that's what I want. I want your truth. I want like your, the, like b- beneath your truth. I want like the underbelly of your truth. I want like your, like the part of you, the, the dark stuff. Like I want, I want to feel like we can share like the depths of our truths with each other. And that's, that's when I feel loved. And that's when I feel love for others is one where just when we feel like we can be vulnerable and honest with each other in a space that in a way that holds space for all of the different feelings, Mm. um, which I think you are doing here. So this, this, I feel radically loved being with you in this (laughs) little box. Thank you. So, oh my God, that was such a great answer. Thank you. Thank you again for just being awesome, for sharing your truth. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Being honest, open and being a light for many of us to follow, for being a change maker and allowing us to have all the feelings and to feel validated in those feelings. So thank oh, you thank again. You. really appreciate so you. So much. Thank, thank you, you all so much for listening. Please share this with a friend or somebody who you think would really gain value from this conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. <laughs>